today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. The world is trying to seduce you and trying to seduce me. And when we make friends with the world, when we have our agenda so much a part of the world, suddenly we recognize we're wrapped up in worldliness and we're an enemy to God. There is a cross pull in the life of those who know God when we become a friend of the world. The Bible says we're to be in the world and not of the world, but so many of us, we know we're in the world and too many of us are of the world. The truth is, desires that seduce you away from God never give what they promise. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins his message, Cross Pull, where he helps you identify desires that will rob you of the life God wants for you and shares you can't avoid their trap. That's Proven Truth from God's Word, coming up next. Now here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Cross Pull. The words cross pull are not my words. They're the words of a famous newscaster who many years ago was visiting a ranch way out west, a real cattle ranch. And he was there for a few weeks and had the privilege of meeting a young cowboy who was sort of the favorite of all the old hands on the place. He was a bandied-legged little fella. He'd been reared there on the ranch and Everybody loved him, and this newscaster was drawn to him immediately, and they became good friends in just a few days. The little cowboy had gotten a colt and had raised that colt with great care until that colt had grown to a mighty stallion, and all the other cowboys would tease that little fellow about that stallion because the stallion literally followed him around like a dog. And he said, everybody would say, well, that's the only friend you have is your horse. While the news commentator was there, this beautiful stallion stepped in a gopher hole and sort of turned a foot. And they took the stallion and put him out in the pasture to rest his leg. But while in the pasture, a group of wild horses got in, and sure enough, the favorite went out and ran away with them. The newscaster said, you should have seen that young cowboy. You've never seen such a picture of depression in all of your life. He'd lost his horse. But then one day, uh, Another guy came in from riding the fence and he said, I found him, I found him, I found the horse. The young guy said, where is he? I'll go get him. And he said, you can't, it's too late in the afternoon. He's out in a certain pasture and he's running with a wild herd. And so early the next morning, that young cowboy got up and the tenderfoot, the news commentator, persuaded him to carry him along just to watch. And they rode to a certain mountain peak and got ready to look into a certain valley. And he said, sure enough, they saw the wild herd and they saw his favorite right in the middle of them. The young cowboy said, you stay here. 
The news commentator said he was carefully instructed as to how he was to lie down that rim rock and not make a sound or move in any way. And he said he watched the young cowboys. He did a beautiful job of stalking, getting down close enough to the wild herd where the favorite could hear him, but so he wouldn't spook all of them and they'd run away before he got a chance to call, call that horse back home. He said he got down inside and he stood up and he saw all the horses lift their heads, their ears, and they stood for a minute. They saw the danger and they bolted to run away. He said he couldn't hear from where he was looking down, but he knew that young cowboy was whistling and calling for all he was worth to bring that stallion back to him. He said the wild herd ran away. The news commentator said, I looked down and I could feel the cross pull in that animal. He wanted to run with a wild herd that he had been with, but yet he heard the voice of the master who loved him, who was beckoning him to come to him and to go back home. Cross pull. I think all of us here can identify with that. I dare say there are many people here in this hour and you could stand today and say, I feel a cross pull in my own life. There's tension, there's pressure, there's strife, there's unrest within my spirit. And we need to be reminded that God created all of us, mind, emotions, and spirit, and these three elements are to work together in harmony. And when one part of you or one part of me is not in harmony with the rest of us, there will be that cross-pull. What is it about? It's about my will or God's will. It's about what I want to do and how I want to live my life and how God would want my life to be lived. It's about the aim, the goal, the purpose of your life and my life. Cross-pull. And this is what these 10 verses, I believe, in James are all about. They're about this cross-pull. Look at them with me. That first verse is so important. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you, James asked. Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? In the King James it says, is not the source lust? So we know about the cross pull. We know about the restlessness, about the unrest in our lives. But we have to ask the question, what is the cause? And James gives us here two primary causes. The first one is lustfulness. The American Standard Version says pleasures. We can put them together and say it is a lust for pleasure. Now we know that lust can be good and lust can be bad if you define lust by the word desire, but this question here begs in the Greek a negative answer. It is a negative word in its context. So we're talking about lustfulness. We're talking about lustful pleasures. 
we're talking about not desire. Desire in and of itself is a good thing, remember? It's one of our instincts to, to get, to possess. In fact, the first word some of us said was mine. Mine? A child's word. It's an instinctive thing. So desire is not bad, but an evil desire is bad. What is an evil desire? It's desiring something or someone that does not belong to us or desiring something that will not lead to our best good. An evil desire. So if there is a cross-pull in your life today, if there's unrest in your life, if there's undue tension in your life, if there is pressure from within that expresses itself without in quarrels and conflicts and battles, we need to understand in all probability the source is right here. It is lustfulness. A lust for pleasure, how we live in a hedonistic society. We give ourselves for that which makes me look good, that which makes me feel good, that which brings glory to me and power to me or prestige to me. It is money. It is position. It is recreation. We live in this kind of hedonistic world, and this is at cross purposes with the call of God. On one hand, it's my pleasure. On the other hand, it is God's will. And if there's undue tension, if there is unrest in your life, if you identify with that phrase, the cross-pull, then you can be sure one cause is lustfulness. Now look what it leads to. There's a progressiveness here. Verse 2, you lust and you do not have. So you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain. So you fight and quarrel you do not have because you do not ask. Now, what are we talking about here? There is a desire that I have, and I do not have it, and therefore I get upset and I commit murder. You say, I would never commit murder. <laughs> That's an overstatement. But what does 1 John tell us? It says, if you hate your brother at heart, you're a murderer. If you have a grudge against someone, if you are vindictive towards someone, if you have an attitude of viciousness towards someone, then in God's sight, you have murder in your heart. Here is this desire, here is this lust. Many times it involves pleasure. You say, well, how in the world can pleasure lead to murder. You see, there is a competitiveness in this society. We want to get ahead, and some ways we get ahead, we step on somebody else. We step on someone else, and we move up. Let me tell you something about doing that in the corporate ladder or in any kind of ladder. Be careful of those you step on on the way up because you're going to meet them on the way down. So many times to get my desire, my goal, what I think I need to satisfy my ego in my life. Therefore, I have to misuse someone else. 
And then what happens? What does it say? There's quarrel, there's conflict. We desire this, we desire this, and we do not get it. And then James tells us why we do not get it. He says it's because we do not ask. Now, the background of this is a positive thing. The Bible tells us that the Heavenly Father knows how to give those gifts that satisfy the deepest longings in your heart and in my heart. He knows how to give us those gifts that satisfy. But as long as we seek these pleasures that do not satisfy, we will go through life with a feeling of unsatisfaction. And we reach and we grasp and we reach this goal and we go over here and finally we discover there's emptiness in and of it all. While God wants to give to you and give to me the best, the things that meet your needs, the things that give you peace, the things that satisfy, he wants you to have his best gifts. I'll tell you, nothing thrills me more as a parent than to give something to one of my children and to see that it's exactly the right thing. And they really like it. And old dad knocked it over the fence. He didn't give something that was in style 25 years ago. Finally, he's up to date. And he gives that right gift. Doesn't that make you feel good as a parent? And the Bible says, how much more the Lord knows how to give to his children those perfect gifts. But you see, the illicit side of this is we conjure up in our dreams, we conjure up in our imaginations, and we plan and we scheme and we have these evil desires that we work and we work and we plan and we imagine and we move from this and we move to that, and then finally the situation comes there as an explosion. And we move away from God. And then we're trapped in our own lustfulness, our desire for pleasure. But the Lord knows what we need. Ye have not these things that satisfy, that will quench that thirst because you do not ask. Somebody here say, wait a minute, pastor. I want you to know I've asked for those things, but I did not receive them. I've inquired, but it didn't work out. I've begged and prayed, and I've asked the Lord, but it didn't happen. What about me? James has anticipated the question. Look at the third verse. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. In other words, when we go to God and ask for these perfect gifts, these gifts that he will give to you and give to me that will satisfy may not be that which we are seeking because his gifts have to fulfill real need in your life and in my life, and always they have to lead us to glorify him. So when I pray, I am getting in the middle of his will. In his will is my peace, Dante said, and we've all experienced that truth if we sought to walk with the Lord. So when we pray, we know he recognizes that which is best, that which is good, that which will edify him and build his kingdom through your life and through my life. And we ask amiss because sometimes 
we don't see the long view. We see only right here from our own lustfulness. That's the first problem with cross-pull in your life or in my life. These quarrels, these disputes, these wars that break out that are within that express themselves without in all of our interpersonal relationships. But look at the next thing. The next thing is worldliness. Verse 4, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We need a definition of worldliness. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 and 17. Turn right in your Bibles. 1 John 2, 15 and 17. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the world love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away. And also it's lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. What is worldliness? Worldliness is when you seek to please the world or someone who lives in the world more than you seek to please God. You become worldly and I become worldly when our intimate associates, our friendships are with people who are casual about God are totally indifferent to God. You get involved, your life bound with people like that, and you are on the first step to worldliness. Now, the word here, adulteresses, has nothing to do with the breaking of the seventh commandment. It is a picture of spiritual infidelity. In the Bible, the marriage relationship is used. Therefore, the church, and we are the church, those who are born again, those who've received Jesus Christ, we are the bride of Christ. And we become adulteresses. The form is feminine. We are unfaithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does this mean? What is this like? It's like a wife who flirts with a man who's trying to seduce her. That's exactly what it's like. And this scripture would say that the husband of that wife is an enemy to the man who was trying to seduce his mate. The world is trying to seduce you and trying to seduce me. And when we make friends with the world, when we have our agenda so much a part of the world, suddenly we recognize we're wrapped up in worldliness and we're an enemy to God. Now, this is a word to Christians. It's not to pagans. It's a word to those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, those who name the name. But suddenly there is a cross pull in the life of those who know God when we become a friend of the world. The Bible says we're to be in the world and not of the world, but so many of us, we know we're in the world and too many of us are of the world. That's our primary agenda. 
And therefore, there's that cross pull. It's inevitable. It has to be that tension between my way and God's way, between the call of the wild herd with which we have run and the whistle and the beckoning words of our master who loves us. That's the cross pull we feel. The cause of the cross pull. Lustfulness, seeking after lustful pleasures that do not satisfy. Second cause, worldliness. But what's the cure? What's the answer? The next verses. Look at it, back in James. Look at verse 5, which is a transitional verse. Or do you think the Scripture speaks to no purpose? He, that's God, jealously desires the Spirit which he has made to dwell in us. The word jealous there comes from the Greek word zealos. Zealot would be the word. It means hot and burning. What is this saying? It says that the Holy Spirit, which indwells every believer, is hot, is burning, is zealous, is passionate about your life and my life being controlled by that Holy Spirit. And therefore, when this is not taking place, when there is that cross-pull, that cross-purpose, that unrest, that desire for pleasure over here and the desire for God's will over here, and we're like bunions, Mr. Facing both ways. In Pilgrim's Progress, there was a guy who said he could face it both ways at the same time. A lot of people who name the name of Christ are seeking to do that. There's the world and there's God. There's the flesh and there's the spirit-filled life. And we're trying to stand in both camps. We're trying to walk these wires. How wonderful it is to see in the political realm those who stand up and say, this I believe without any wavering. How thankful I am that in our city and some in our state now, in our nation, are beginning to stand up and say, this I believe. They have a philosophy of life, an understanding of God and what's going on, especially as we vote in the soon election. Conviction. Believe something, stand for it, understand it, be a thinking person. Say, God, it's your will and your will alone. What's the answer? You say, well, you know, the Holy Spirit says to dwell in my life and God puts high expectations. There's tremendous responsibility for me to walk with the Lord. And some would say, I've tried and I can't do it. He puts everything on such a high shelf. What's the cure? What's the answer to this cross pull? It's right there in verse 6. The first part of the answer is, he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. You say, my need is great. He gives more grace. 
I, I've tried before. He just gives more grace. I feel totally inadequate. He likes that because through his grace, he'll make us adequate. Grace, God's love reaching down for us, undeserved, unmerited favor that's in salvation, but grace, his power, his strengthening continually comes. He gives us grace, more grace. Oh, it's so difficult for me. He'll give more grace. He gives grace to those who are humble. How do you get to be humble? Has anybody ever answered that question? He said, oh, I want to be humble. I used to be, I'd start off some days, I said, Lord, I'm going to be humble today. And I just got a humble feeling. And I've got a lot to be humble about. So I'm ahead of a lot of people already at the beginning. How do you get to be humble? What's the secret? Lord, I need your grace. Boy, there's the lust for pleasure. There's the worldliness. There's this Mr. Facing Both Ways. There's the cross pull in my life. I need more grace. It says grace comes to the humble. And then the Lord tells us how to be humble. Look at it. It is fabulous. Verse 7, first of all, he says, Submit therefore to God and resist the devil and he will flee from you. You do two things there. The first two steps to humility is to submit to God. The word submit is a military word. It means that you're a private and you've been acting like a general or at least a corporal, and you are a private. Therefore, you go to God, the commander-in-chief, and say, I submit myself to you. I'm reporting for orders. I have nothing in my life that is good. I come to you. Submit yourself to God. Then the next thing we do is to resist the devil. Well, how do you do that? The same way Jesus did in the wilderness of temptation. You have the Word hidden in your heart. See, this is another way that we have prayers answered. John 15 said, if ye abide in me, that's in Christ, and my words abide in you, that's the Bible, then ask what ye will, and it shall be done for you. Because we have the mind of Christ. The word of God abides within us. Now, that is true, powerful praying. So what do we do? I want to be humble. I want more grace. I want to live a life that's not filled with this cross pull, with this restlessness, with quarrels and wars and, and fightings and conflict. I want unity between my mind, my emotion, and my will. How do I get that? It's grace. We become humble. How do you get to be humble? You submit, you surrender totally to God, and you resist the devil by the name of Jesus Christ and by the word that is hidden in your heart. Then what's the next step to humility? It says, draw near to God, verse 8, and he will draw near to you. You say, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. I don't have to draw near to God, but so many times he's near to us and we do not recognize him, Right? What did Browning say? He says, every bush is a fire with God and we sit around picking blackberries. That's so true. God is omnipresent. 
But so many times we don't understand that he's there. We don't perceive that he's there. We don't feel that he's there. We don't have evidence that he's there. So what do we do? The Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. But what's the prerequisite for drawing near to God on my quest for humility? Look at it, the latter part of verse 8. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. We are to clean our hands. That's the external part of our lives, isn't it? The hands represent the outside of your life. There's to be cleansing there. We are to cleanse our hearts. We are to purify our hearts. That's the inside of our life. That's that which we think on, that which we watch, that which we court, that which we meditate about. That's the inside. We are to purify our hearts and our minds. The Bible would add to this and talk about a fourfold cleansing. We are to cleanse our lips. That's Isaiah 6. We are to cleanse our hands. That is Psalm 24. We are to cleanse our hearts. That is Psalm 73. We are to cleanse our minds, and that is this scripture right here. We're not to be double-minded, James 4, 8. Double-minded, cross-pull, Mr. Facing both ways. The call of the master. Come on, boy. Come on. Come on. Come on, fella. Got some sugar. Come on. And the lust and the pull of the wild herds of life and of this world. That's the tension. That's the cross pull. And if we're to be drawn near to God and he is to draw near to us, the psalmist says, who shall ascend to that holy place? The answer, he that hath clean hands and a pure heart. And that's the only ones who will ascend to that holy place. We're to cleanse externally and internally. Well, we're still on the quest for humility. We see the steps to take. What's the other step? Verse 9, be miserable and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. That's something. Here the Bible is saying we are to take all of our laughter and our joy and we're to be serious, we're to be gloomy, we're to be heavy. Like the Puritan was walking down the road in England with a friend and his friend says, isn't that a beautiful flower? And the Puritan says, I have come to count nothing beautiful in this sinful and lost world. Now, that's not the spirit of the Scripture. That's not the spirit of the New Testament. That's not the spirit of our Lord. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. See, the difference is we are to use the world and not let the world use us. We're to be in but not of. We're to be settled in our minds. And we talk about not having joy or laughter. It means when there's something in your life or in my life, there is some living sin there that's keeping us from God. Is there anything like that in your life today? Is there something that's blocking that freedom, that transparency between you and God? 
You want to draw near to God and you want God to draw near to you. You feel high and lifted up, but you pray and somehow the heavens are made out of steel. What is it? So many times it's sin. It's sin. It's disobedience. It's in your life. It's in my life. We can't break through. We can't get through. And the Lord says we are not to laugh. We're not to cover all of this up. That's a world philosophy. In the First World War, the fellow wrote the little song, wrap up your troubles in your old kit bag and smile, smile, smile. That's what the world says. Don't worry about all that. This sin business is an illusion. Manager, the psychotherapist, has written a book entitled Whatever Happened to Sin? Oh, we don't take sin seriously in this world. Just wrap up your troubles in your old kit bag and smile, smile, smile. That philosophy doesn't work. One evidence of it is the man who wrote that tune for the First World War took his own life during the Second World War. If there is something in your life that's displeasing to God Almighty, Anything in your life, anything in my life, we are to be miserable. We are to cry. We are to mourn. We're not to throw ourselves into more lustful seeking pleasure and worldliness to, to hide those quiet, deadly places. We are to mourn and cry. And this is a biblical picture of repentance. When we're right with God, then there's joy. When we're right with God, then there's freedom. When we're right with God, then there's liberty. When we're right with God, then there's transparency. When we're right with God, then there is a holiness that's not of ourselves, but it's of Him. And we have come to understand that within us, there is a God-given humility. What does the 10th verse says? He who humbleth himself shall be exalted. This means that the Lord will satisfy every need in your life. Now understand the progression of this passage. There's a cross pull. What's the cause? Lustfulness, worldliness. What's the cure? Oh, we want the Holy Spirit to indwell in our lives because God is a jealous God. He wants that which is best for his children. So what do we have to do? We have to draw near to God and he will draw near to us. We have to receive that grace and he gives more grace. He gives adequate grace. He keeps on giving grace on top of grace, on top of grace that endues, that empowers us in his spirit. And then there comes that time of confession and cleansing our hands and our hearts and our lips and our minds and our bodies. And then we can draw nigh to God and he draws nigh to us. And if there's any living sin in your life or in my life, then we confess it and we weep and we mourn and we repent. And then we are humbled. He that would be great among you, said Jesus, let him become a servant of all. Greatness through servanthood. The end result, you're exalted, exalted. Guess what happened to that news commentator? <laughs> Who 
was watching that bandy-legged cowboy trying to woo that stallion. Oh, the picture was set, remember? The commentator was looking on that rim rod and rock and, and that, that cowboy down there was calling and that wild horse, that stallion wanted to run with the wild horses. He'd become almost a part of them during those days and weeks. But he also wanted to go back to the master that loved him. The news commentator said he thought that the cowboy had lost because that mighty stallion took a dozen steps and some dust began to quit to run to catch up with the wild herd, but then all of a sudden he stopped and he turned and he dropped his head and he walked to his master. So that young cowboy put a rope around his neck and he discovered a little later that he cried. That horse began to kind of nuzzled his pocket. He reached in and got a handful of sugar and gave it to the horse and loved him a little bit. That news commentator said he just dropped his head on that old Rimrock Canyon. He said, I prayed, oh, dear God, when I am tempted to run with the crowd, the wild herd in this world, oh, dear God, help me always to hear the call of my master. He said, that was my prayer that day. And he said, that's been my prayer every day since. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.